Welcome to the Principles of Success, interviewing the experts, and today we are doing the book summary of Q by Vanessa Van Edwards. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash specialoffer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash specialoffer. So earlier in the season, we covered another one of her books called Captivate. This one, we're talking about cues, social cues. Basically, how to actually read people and understand what the heck is going on in their head. Now, she stresses multiple times throughout the book that these are guidelines. You're not going to become some fortune teller who can tell exactly what they're thinking. One example I like that she only sort of used is if someone's eyebrows are scrunched up, that can be a sign of annoyance. However, if the sun is in their eyes, their eyes are going to be their eyebrows are going to scrunch up because the sun is hurting their eyes. It's not because they're annoyed at you, it's because the sun's in their eyes. She talks about this in form of the reverse of pictures, but it's real easy to misread cues. However, it's also real useful to be able to read cues when they're accurate. So in a different charisma book, we talked about, in the charisma myth, we talked about the three attributes of charisma, and that included power, warmth, and presence. In this one, we only have warmth and competence. That's her charisma scale. And she puts it into a grid form. So there's some people who are super, super warm and some people who are super, super competent. And then there's charismatic people and danger and people in the danger zone. So if you are overly warm and have no competence, people are not going to want to follow you. They'll think of you as a great friend, but they won't respect you. On the flip side, if you have too much competence and not enough warmth, well, then you're going to be a boring, mean nasty stick in the mud that nobody likes, but they can acknowledge that you're smart. People who are charismatic use both warmth and competence, and you can be a very warm person with a little competence, or you can be a very competent person with a little warmth, and you'll be viewed as charismatic. She didn't use this in the book, but a great example of this is Iron Man versus Captain America. Now, both the actors actually pretty well follow along suit, but Iron Man is kind of a cocky jerk, but he's super competent, and he has just enough warmth to make you like him. Captain America is super warm and loving and caring, and has just enough competence to make you like him. Both are very charismatic characters. One is more competent, one is more warm. Charismatic people play this scale like an instrument, so that way they can dial up the warmth or dial up the competence, depending on what is needed. And gender-wise, women are generally viewed as more warm, men are generally viewed as more competent. So to dial up your charisma in general, you need to, for women, dial up your competence expressions and displays, and men, you need to dial up your warmth competent or warmth displays. Now let's talk about the danger zone. The danger zone is non-expressiveness. Boring, dull, stifled, no emotion, danger. When you stifle yourself, 
She doesn't use the word stifle, but when you stifle yourself, there's no emotions showing. And when there's no emotions, you make no impact. And with no impact, nobody even remembers your name. Doesn't matter if they've met you 20 times. If you've had no impact on them, they're not going to remember you. So the lack of emotion is very not charismatic. So when you're nervous, don't stifle yourself. Be more expressive. Charisma is expression. So now let's talk about expansion versus contraction cues. So cues are little subtle things that you are displaying that convey subtle messages that the person might not even pick up. A lot of our communication is subtext and is operated subconsciously. So the most iconic cue is the crossing of the arms. Crossing of the arms is contracting. You're not expressing yourself. You're blocking in your chest. You're protecting your chest. Now, yes, crossing your arms is very comfortable. Everybody does it. Almost everybody is not charismatic. Charismatic people purposely make note not to cross their arms. Expansion, expressiveness, having your arms free to move around, not blocking your torso to protect yourself, not putting a barrier between you and the other person. This is all subtext stuff. And simple, small subcommunications stack up into massive amounts of differences. So crossing your arms is a contraction cue. They talk about when you cross your arms, that's when the other person crosses their arms, it might be a sign that they're uncomfortable. Again, don't overread into the cues. She talks about how you, when before you decide that a cue is meaning a certain thing, make sure you get at least several of the cues that indicate that. So like crossing your arms, a scowl, tapping the foot. Before you decide that the crossing the arms is them being annoyed with you, look for other cues. Because, sticking with the example, crossing the arms is just a comfortable position to put your arms in. And so the person might just be being comfortable. All right, next cue, facing them. If you want to increase rapport with somebody, face them. More trust and rapport is built when your chest is pointed directly at them than if it's turned to the side or even turned away. Next, let's talk about space. How much space are you putting in between you and the person? Example of doing this poorly, she used it in the book, is Seinfeld's uh, close talker, the guy who gets really up close to the person's face. And I'm like, oh, I'm just, I'm, he's like two inches away from the face and is just talking to the person. Nobody finds that comfortable. So people's personal space is important. And there's four different levels of space. There's the public space, where you're just, people instinctively space themselves apart about a arm's width apart from each other when they're talking. Business, you might get a little closer, so that way you can uh, talk a little quieter and convey more messages easier. It's just a little closer. Business space is usually within a handshake's reach and easily... Well, hi, good good to see you. This isn't a stranger that you're keeping at an arm's distance. This is somebody that you're a little bit closer. And so you're talking just a hair closer. Then there's the personal space. This is the space you're generally at with your friends. You can get up and close with your friends. And then there's the intimate space, which is reserved for somebody that you like and they like you and you're right up in each other's business. You can easily kiss at that point. So make sure you're respecting the person's space and you can read how comfortable the person is with you by slightly violating that. If they only view you as an associate, if you step into the personal or into the 
business space or even the personal space, if they do not reciprocate that those feelings of that space, they will take a step back. It wasn't in this book, but a different book. Uh, the guy talked about doing games with another, with one of his associates, and they'd see who could walk a stranger to the other side of the room quicker. And they do, and they do this by just taking a little step into the personal space, and then the other person would take a step back. They do a little step, and then the other person would take back. And it's all subconscious. They're not realizing they're doing it. People naturally are just maintaining that space. Next, she talks about how your seat matters. If you want to be invisible, sit next to the door off to the side of where the lead is talking. If you want to have a significant impact on the meeting, you should be sitting right next to the, to the lead chair or directly opposite of the lead chair. If you want to be more quiet, further out along the middle is better. If you want to be invisible, off to the sides where no one can see you. Next up, gaze. Gaze is important. By the way, the seats section was about using space. Gaze is the next point. Making eye contact is very important. What you're looking at and how you're looking at them is very important. Are you staring at them or are you avoiding looking at them? People pick up on this. So those are expansion versus contraction cues. You don't want to draw attention to somebody, don't look at them. Now let's talk about warmth cues. If you're overly competent, you need to up your warmth cues. If you're overly warmth, you need to up your competence cues. Talk about competence cues next. So the warmth cues, tilting your head, like, yeah, you're listening to them. Like, oh, that, that's really interesting. Like you can picture how I'm tilting my head through the words I'm using. Like, oh yeah, yeah, okay. Nod, I actually didn't even think about it, but I started nodding as another warmth cue. The eyebrow raise, just a quick flash of your eyebrows to acknowledge somebody or to hint at a joke. And then of course, smiling is very warmth. Make sure that you smile. Touch is very warm. Just a quick tap on their shoulder when you're laughing or something. Extremely useful. And then there's mirroring. Mirroring is where you're instinctively, when people are in sync, they're copying each other. If you're leaned back, I'm leaned back. If your legs are crossed, my legs are crossed. If you want to build rapport, you can use mirroring to, ins to actively try and get in sync with the person. This includes body language and words. If you're talking to somebody and they use the word awesome, don't use the word fantastic. Use the word awesome. Yes, they mean the same thing. Use the word awesome. And she gives you a challenge. And the challenge is within, the, within your interaction within the first three minutes, display at least three warmth cues. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Now let's talk about some confidence cues. First up, power poses. Posture is very important. You will not look powerful if you're slunched over with your shoulders tucked in, looking down at the ground, not making eye contact. You will not be displayed as a competent person. But if you're standing with your chest out, your hands down by your side, or even on your hips, that is better than the non-competence one that I just gave as an example. However, interestingly, according to her studies, 
power poses that are examples of like having your hands on your hip do actually worse than just simple postures like for instance standing with your shoulders slightly back and your chest slightly extended where you're just standing erect because the power poses are a little are a little much they make you, they get you into the right state of mind but having a relaxed confident posture is better the stern eye she calls it the lower lid tightening eye but the stern eye when you're trying to concentrate on something your lower eyelids kind of stiffen up and you're not glaring but you're focused if you want to appear more competent focus your eyes then there's the nonverbal hand gestures one great example is the hand steeple where you're just basically touching your fingertips to to each other you just keep it down at your waist or maybe even a little bit up that's just a instead of crossing your arms you have your hands in the hand steeple it displays much more competence and then there's the palm power when you want to wave si hi to somebody you raise your palm so that way they can see it when you want to ask a question you raise your palm so that way the teacher can see it when you want someone to stop you show them your palm when you want someone to trust you you have your palms visible now what if you're dealing with some blabbermouth who won't shut up you can use a couple subtle cues to hopefully make them so that way you can have a, either a turn to talk or to leave uh one she calls the uh fish mouth you just slightly open your mouth and if they're at all competent at picking up on social cues they'll pick up that instinctively that you have something to say and then i don't remember which one's which but the she has the bookmark and then the anchor the bookmark can be something like raising your hand with one finger up when you're taking a breath so that way they know that you're not quite done talking and then the anchor might be something like uh if you have a list of things being holding up a one and then a two and then a three so that way they know once you're done you put your hands down and now they they can talk i don't remember if i'm remembering correctly but i believe that's essentially what those two were now let's talk about some bad cues some cues that you might pick up on to be able to tell somebody is not being completely honest with you or some cues that you might be displaying on accident that you need to avoid first one is distancing we already talked about expansion versus contraction if you are doing stuff to distance you what well, it can be as simple as having a podium in between you and who you're talking to it can be something like crossing your arms distancing is a bad sign and then there's the look of shame if anybody flashes any sort of resemblance to shame that's a red flag either they're uncomfortable didn't understand what you were talking about or if they're the ones talking they might be lying and then there's also the grand and glorious resting blah face she actually had came up with a different word as well but i don't remember what word she used but the resting b face some people's eyes look a little droopier than others some people's mouths naturally turn down if you have a resting b face it is your job to actively do things to try and make sure that that's not displayed on your face when you're talking to people because then they'll think they're you're annoyed at them for some reason even though it's just your face this is where purposely smiling is important next section we're getting into voice now we're talking about sound cues how to sound powerful if you want to sound confident you should strive to talk in your lowest comfortable pitch when i get really excited I, my pitch goes a lot higher and it's a lot more strained 
Or when I'm feeling really self-conscious, I get really deep and kind of add a little bit of a reverb to my voice. But if you want to sound confident, you should have the lowest pitch that's comfortable. If you overdo it, people can tell and they're like, what's, what's going on with this person? That's weird. That's kind of creepy. But if you're just naturally talking in your lowest pitch, you will sound powerful. Next, do not end your sentences with a question inflection. Would you like to go on a date with me? Would you like to go on a date with me? You can hear the difference. Next up, vocal fry. This is where your voice sounds kind of raspy because you're not getting enough oxygen because you're not breathing and you're, or you're talking too fast and so it sounds really bad. When you're nervous, your voice can get a little bit raspy. When you've been going for a while and you're not breathing enough, your voice can get a little bit raspy. Then there's volume control. If you want to sound more powerful, add a little bit of volume. If you want to sound a little bit more intimate, then you lower the volume and lower the speed. So that way the person leans in and wants to hear what you have to say. And then there's fillers. Fillers are things like um, uh, eh, uh, mm. And if you notice, if you listen to my older episodes versus now, I am slowly getting better at not doing long um. I'm sure I still have some sprinkled in in the episodes. But I am getting more comfortable with talking to my wall and pausing and breathing and not worrying about the ums. I'm just pausing. Now granted, it's a little bit easier with the podcast because I know I can just edit down the silences. So when I need to think, I literally will just stop and sometimes a whole minute will pass before I start talking again. So get comfortable with the silence. Breathe instead of um. You will sound more confident, you will sound more powerful, and you will actually be able to think better because instead of ex exhaling to make a sound, you're breathing, which helps with the raspy voice. So now let's talk about vocal likability. And there's a couple little gimmicks you can use to help your voice. If you want to sound more warm, have a hot drink with honey. If you want to sound more powerful, have some ice water. So vocal likability. Don't answer the phone if grumpy. Do your very best to sound happy. People like happy people. They don't like grumpy people. Then there is a vocal virality. Emotion, expression, it's interesting, it's warm. If I just spent the whole podcast talking like this and I was going to tell you all about how important discipline is to success, you would tune me out real quick. But where I'm talking and raising the voice and lowering the voice and speeding it up and slowing it down and displaying things like happy and grumpy, by adding in that emotional vocal variety and even in that sentence i stressed one word more than i did the other one i did it again that the previous sentence i upped the volume and in the last sentence i stretched one of the words having vocal variety is interesting and so it's more it's a more likable voice you can include cue reminders to help with this she uses she uses an example of if she really has to answer the phone even though she's grumpy she has a picture of her kid on the phone, and she'll, before she answers the phone, she'll look at her kid and try and think of something happy about the kid. So then she's in a little bit of a better mood when she answers the phone. Then there's vocal invitations versus shutdowns. When I was talking about the warmth cues, because this is a podcast, I was using vocal invitations to help express the physical cues. Examples of vocal invitations. Ah, mm-hmm. 
Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. Actually, let me backtrack a bit. There is three types of vocal invitations. There is the listening sounds, which is what I just gave you. The ah, uh, mm-hmm, yeah, uh-huh, yeah, cool. Then there's the verbal nudges. The verbal nudges can be one word or a couple of words to indicate interest in what they're saying. And these can be examples of like, keep going, or fascinating, or really? If you want to be a good listener, you include these. Then there's the third one. And that is vocal mirror. We already talked about mirroring. In fact, I already talked about this whole section. If, you sit, if the person uses the word awesome, don't use the word fantastic. Use the word awesome. So by using these three, as you are listening to the person, you are vocally inviting them to talk and express themselves. And when people being, when you are, when we, I talked about this in the Friends episode. I don't know when this book is airing, but in the Friends episode, you will make more friends by being interested than being interesting. Being a good listener requires vocal expression of nudges, mirroring, and listening sounds. When you're listening to someone, make sure that you're like, yeah, cool. Don't say it like that because that's a vocal shutdown. But mm-hmm, yeah, mm, cool, yeah, really, tell me more. Awesome. A good listener talks. You're not just a wall. And then vocal shutdowns are things that express a lack of interest. Like, yeah, cool. It's a cool story, bro. Ugh. Uh, things like that. Next, if you want to sound good, you can channel charisma. Oh, wow, this episode's going long. We're almost done, though. You can channel charisma. So a great example that she uses is who's your favorite motivational speaker? If you want to sound a little bit more charismatic, try to sound like them. She also uses the example of Steve Jobs. If you want to be more competent, people sound more competent when they're pretending that they're Steve Jobs than themselves. So you can channel someone else's charisma to help you with your own. You can also warm up your voice. I try to do this before I start each episode. So deep breathing. Make sure you have lots of oxygen in your body. Fix your body posture. I record standing up. I didn't last year because of reasons. And I think you can tell the difference in sound quality from me sitting in last season and me standing in this season. Then there's vocal ex exercise. She uses the example of humming. I start pretending like I'm recording a couple of minutes before I start recording. And if you listen to me, it's actually really funny because I'm just word associating. I talked about that in the... Uh, making friends episode as well. So I'm just word associating. I'm like, welcome to the principles of success interviewing the experts. This isn't interviewing the experts. We're talking about how to make friends, except for I don't have any friends, except for I really do. And I'm just yapping away to warm up my voice. Humming works too. Number four for the warm up is watching your favorite speaker. This goes back to kind of like the channeling charisma. If you listen to your favorite speaker, you, that kind of gets into your bones and then you're going to sound a little bit more like them. And then number five, practice your opening. Anytime I make a speech, anytime I'm opening up a conversation where I've had time to think about what I want to say to start the conversation, I practice what I'm going to say. I might not vocally say it, but in my head, I'm r running it over and over again. I'm like, oh, hey, how are you doing? Blah, blah, blah. So by doing these things, you can warm up your voice. And so that way you sound better. Next, use warm, competent words. Stop being boring. Use words that... Like, hey, it's so good to see you, instead of sup, or 
maybe that that was a warmth example. Maybe you're wanting to sound competent, like, hey, I appreciate working with you. That's a competence example. So use words to help express more warmth and competence, and you'll be more charismatic. Quit using boring words. Quit using boring emotions. You're in the danger zone. You don't want to be in the danger zone. Nobody remembers you when you're in the danger zone. And then she talks about the importance of visuals and color. I really didn't care too much about that, but it's important to make sure you look good. It's important that your website looks good. It's important that your book looks good. We judge books off of their covers. Pictures matter. Style matters. Your hair matters. What colors you're wearing matters. Now, she did, uh, before she went into utilizing different colors to mean different things, she did mention that color psychology is a very, very loose science. We know colors are important. We don't know how to really figure out what impact the colors have. We just know that they're important. And by using your different visuals, you can express warmth or competence. The example she uses is a dermatologist office. One was a very warm office. It had water with cucumbers. The uh, waiting area was kind of like a lounge area. Very warm space. The other one was a very competent space. Everybody was in scrubs. It looked like a hospital. It was a competence office. Depending on who the person is, they might like the warmth office or they might like the competence office. It all depends. But your visuals matter too. And just some quick fu- final summaries, takeaways that she had. Expect the best. Do not overread into the cues. If you're too busy stressing about cues, you're not going to actually be able to properly read them anyway. Number two, don't fake it. People can tell. And you just look untrustworthy when you try and fake cues. Use cues to your advantage to help you, but don't try and fake it if it's not sincere. And then number three, use the rule of three. Before you make a judgment of something's wrong, see if there's other examples of that they're expressing that might be a bad signal. When you're starting an interaction, try and display several cues in the very early stages within the first three minutes. And with that, I will end today's episode, and I will see you all next week. Oh, and one more thing. If you would like to purchase this book and you would like to help support the podcast, there is an Amazon link down below that will take you directly to this book. And if you use that link and purchase the book, Amazon will give me a couple of pennies. So use that link down below. I, for one, would appreciate it.